Hey you guys, are you ready for the best show in the Pacific Northwest? Here's my dad to his boyfriend and friend. Oh man, it's <laughs> You're not having a great day, which is making me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to episode 13, everybody. <laughs> Lucky 13. That's what it is, probably. <laughs> Lucky episode 13. <laughs> I'm just having one of those days. But you know what? Sometimes that happens. No, I'm not. I, I am not laughing with you or at you. I'm just laughing. Right. No, you're laughing at me. I get it. It's going to be okay, man. <laughs> Episode number 13, the Ron and Don Show. Thanks for stopping by. I also want to thank Bill Radke for MDR. He called us up the other day along with his producer, uh, Zach, and said, hey, would you come down and do an interview? Would you do a nooner? He said, we said we'd love to do a nooner with Bill because he's on at noon over an NPR. So we did about a 40-minute interview uh, with him. And then after that, he did something that was so kind, and I'm so appreciative. And, Bill, I just wanted to thank you. He pulled myself and my son aside. And a lot of you know that we were uh, let go from Trestor Radio over on Cairo Radio. And Bill used to do mornings there. And something similar happened to him, uh, and he had... He had unbelievable ratings uh, when he ended up leaving Cairo, and he landed back at NPR. So anyway, when 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 he separated with the station, I picked up the phone, and I called him, and I reached out to him, because every time that I have been fired somewhere in Terrestrial Radio, uh, a lot of times early on in our careers, people didn't call. And this time around, people like BJ Shea called, or Dory Monson called. Of course, BJ from KSW uh, Dory, uh, yeah, I heard from, from Bob Rivers. He, he yeah, out we to heard me. from uh, John Carlson reached out. Uh, yeah, John so, did. I think Fitz in the Morning reached out yeah, to us. Yeah, so so many people reached out to us, and we were so appreciative. And so over the years, what I've tried to do uh, when I have seen one of my brothers or sisters in radio, and not just necessarily on the station I'm on, but other stations, I try to reach out. And so I reached out to Bill, and I left him a message. And I don't even, I didn't even know if he ever got the message. So as we were done recording at NPR in the studios are in the U Village uh, University District, he called me over, and then he called my son over because G-Force was with us. And he said, hey, G-Force, I just want to let you know something about your dad. And he said, when I was feeling really down and really crummy, and he said some other things that were really kind, he said, your dad did something pretty wonderful. He picked up the phone. And he called me, and he reached out to me. And it made a big, big difference in my life at a time when I was really hurting and down and feeling bad about myself. And he just said, I want to let you know. And then uh, there's some private things that he said about me that were super kind to my son. And then, How many of those were true? Yeah, and that's it. And then, <laughs> and, and, and then my son looked at me and he's like, "Are we talking about the same guy?" He goes, "That's not my daddy. What are you talking about?" Bill? Exactly. Uh, so anyway, want to thank Bill, and uh, we had a really nice time over there. And I love the fact that if you want to raise your microphone on public radio, all you have to do is you have to pull out books and you stack your microphone. No, it was great. And so here's the thing, and this is not just a plug for the newsletter, but we do stuff like this a lot where we're doing something that doesn't necessarily fit uh, particularly right into the podcast. And so I'm going to put, people are going to go, well, where can I listen to it? Where's the link on that? I will get all the links to that stuff. 
uh, the NPR uh, segment with Bill. Even though they misspelled your name, oh. and there's only one L. That's okay. And I, I texted Zach to tell him that there's two L's in your last name. Okay, it happens but, all the time. Uh, so what I'll do is like that sort of stuff. I'll put it in the Ron and Don Nation newsletter. Uh, like I just did a real. I don't know if you saw the uh, article I did on gentrification with our friend Logic Amen, uh-huh. uh, which is you know something that it was in writing. I put that in the newsletter. Cool. So we'll get some stuff. It's at ronandon.com. You can sign up for that. Just click on the microphone. But yeah, we'll we'll get you a link. You can listen to it. It's about a 17-minute interview. It sort of goes into a different version of what happened yeah. uh, with our terrestrial radio career. And so you can listen to that of us being interviewed on the show. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this time of year, kids are finishing up camp. They're getting ready to go back to school. Don't forget, you can be a part of Charlie's Dinosaur, helping cops help kids as they go back to school by buying a Ron and Don Nation t-shirt. I say all that because my son had just spent a month in Michigan, and he had a ball playing on the shores of Lake Michigan with all his cousins. And then he comes home, and I thought, you know what would be really cool? Instead of him going to camp, I'll be. I'll, I'll be his camp. Ah, and, yeah, I'll be. That's a big responsibility. Yeah, and I'll come up with something that because because you, you're only nine years old once, and, and in fact, he's here with us right now. He's upstairs eating. Popeye's Can I just chicken. say real quick before you go into this? Yeah. I am amazed at the choices families have now. I have camps, friends. You mean? Yeah, they're going to astronaut camp. Right. They go to rock drum camp. They're in like boating camp. It's unbelievable. They went to archery camp. There's like there's so many camps. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah, they're in 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 there. And some of them are super expensive too. Sure, I bet that's true. Yeah. So. So anyway, I decided I'm going to be camp director. We'll come up with something really great. And so the other day I said, what do you, what do you want to do tomorrow? And he said, you know what I've always wanted to do is I've always wanted to do those paddle boats up, ah. on, up on Green Lake. And have you ever done the uh, paddle boats? No, up? not on Green Lake. Yeah. I've done paddle boats before, but not on Green Lake. Yeah. So anyway, and of course, we all know where Green Lake is, right off the I-5, just north of uh, north, the, the north part of Seattle there. And you can run around the lake. It's 2.8 miles to run around the lake. If you run around the outer edge, it's 3.2. And you see a lot of, I guess, inline skates are back. You see a lot of uh, 80-year-old men out there with their shirts off. They look buff. They look incredible. And they're out there inline skating, skating backwards, doing all that stuff. Is this the paddle boat where you sit down and you pedal? Or is it the one where you have a paddle? Yeah. They, well, they have all those where you okay. can stand up and you can So, so, So we got there. And then uh, he went over and picked out our boat. And sure, I thought we were going to paddle board, but he wanted to pedal uh, board. So, okay. So anyway, we get on the, we, we, we get on this boat. We take off out in Green Lake. And before you get on the boat, they say, hey, they give you a warning shot. And they're like, hey, you get stuck out there to come get you guys. It's going to be uh, $25. And if, oh, you get, get stuck. if you get stuck twice, it's going to be $50. I'm like, what? Doesn't look like I can do math over here. Get stuck once, 25 twice, uh, $50. And then they want to know if you want to pay up front uh, in case you get stuck, and then they'll come get you. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I have raced my bike across America three times. I was spin instructor of the year back in 1987 at a gym where there were only two instructors. On top of that, on top of that, I still teach spin every Wednesday and I teach spin every Friday. There's no way you're getting stuck. There's no way that I'm getting stuck. I'm not going to let this happen. So anyway, we get out on the lake and we start pedaling. And the first thing that I noticed is about four minutes in uh, to pedaling across the green lake. My legs are burned up, man. I was four minutes in, and I think I'm in pretty good shape. And a trail runner, I lift no, weights every you, once in a while. You weren't burned out I in four do, minutes. I kid you not. In four minutes, I was done. How fast were you pedaling? I, well, here's the thing. My son can really, really pedal. And if you're both not pedaling at the same speed, you end up just circling. 
You're, ah. you're just you're you're doing. It's like you're going to, down. So we're sitting there and we're pedaling and we're pedaling and we're pedaling. Not going anywhere. Come to find out, we're kind of in the same part of the lake. We're we're in the very same part. And the, and and then we almost hit a couple of people that were swimming. Come to find out, there were people out there that were training for ultra marathons uh that we didn't know about then you have to kind of dodge the gut the ducks and the geese and everything because they're flying overhead and they're dropping stuff on you if you know what i'm saying and then if you get a little too close to the shore a little too close we found out we found out pretty quick you can bottom out that boat and then the next thing you know uh you may be calling for a towing. How you many? Just, how many rescues? You may be calling. You may be calling once. You may be calling twice. Let's just say, I spent uh, close to a hundred dollars hmm. at Green Lake, uh, being camp counselor of the year over here, uh, just going for a little paddle boat ride. Anyway, be careful if you're going to go out there, and you might want to give them twenty-five bucks up front, because chances are. They're going to have to come get you. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. All right, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show, episode number 13. Thanks for sharing this on all your social media feeds, and we appreciate the tens of thousands of people. Uh, that have found us, rediscovered us, and we really appreciate you. Don't forget, Ron and Don are licensed brokers with Windermere. Hmm. Reach out to Ron. Ron at Wind- Windermere.com or Don O'Neill with two L's with this Windermere.com. I'm just telling you, I am this summer's uh, camp counselor. We were driving around the other day, and Ron, I thought of you because a bee... Uh, entered my forerunner, and I drive up front. G4 sits in the second seat, and then Charlie kind of sits wherever he wants to. Charlie the dog. Sometimes he's all the way in the back because he likes the window down, kind of like the old Volvos where you're turned around and you like to watch the traffic behind you. Sure. He loves doing that. Sometimes he sits in the second seat next to G4, and then sometimes he's up front. It just kind of depends upon uh, what we're doing that day. We're, we're driving along. I think we had stopped to get some Popeye's chicken or something. And as we're driving, the next thing, remember this, when a, when, when a bee, when a bee. Is it a bee or a wasp? Because people get, get those confused. It, was it a bee or a wasp, do you think? Uh, it was a bee, and we were at Ken's getting a hot dog. There you go. We were at Ken's getting a hot dog. By the way, on Queen Anne, a great bagel hot dog. We found out it's one of our new favorite foods. Because we're trying new, new favorite foods this year. What's that? Thank you. A cheddar a ch- bagel bacon a dog. A cheddar bagel bacon dog. Because we've been working. This camp counselor over here is like, hey, we can't go back to school and just eat pineapple and bacon and cheese it. Well, you can. We got to add to the palate this year. So we came we up. added the bagel with, hot dog. With the bagel hot dog. Anyway, we get in the car. We're driving along. B enters the car. Not wasp. B enters the car. And he really wants that hot dog. And we're driving along, probably going 45. Bees don't like hot dogs. 50 miles. In. Well, I'll tell you what's weird about this. G-Force is convinced that the bee wants the hot dog. He passes the hot dog to me. I'm now holding the hot dog. The bee is coming after me. I'm turning around saying, I don't want this hot dog. I give it back to the nine-year-old when I should have thrown it out the window. What's the matter with me? But I want, didn't want to waste a good bagel dog. So anyway, we toss the, the, the hot dog back and forth. We finally stop the vehicle. We exit the vehicle. 
the bee followed us, didn't it? The bee followed us to the front of the vehicle, and then we went inside a store. The bee was either after something on us or after the hot dog. I didn't want to smash the bee, though, because my son explained to me when you smash a bee, you smash a little sack inside, right? That's what he, that's what he explained to me. Yeah. So anyway, he explained this to me. Ron's a beekeeper. And the other thing is this. There's a nationwide worldwide shortage of bees right now. We didn't want to be responsible in the O'Neill household for taking down another bee. As a professional beekeeper, right. what is going on here worldwide? And we did we do the, the did we do the right thing by pulling over the car, saving the bagel dog, and we saved the bee, and we didn't get stuck okay. all at the same a time. A couple misconceptions. Pretty good camp counselor it, right here, huh, Chief Force? A, if a flying creature is going after meat, yeah. that is a hornet or a wasp. Bees do not like meat, hmm. but hornets and wasps do. So, oh, they do. And they'll have a very uh, thin waist, and they're shinier. So if you see the really bright, black, bright yellow, sort of shiny, lacquery one, that is a wasp or a hornet, and they do go after meat. They do, could have been they a hornet. Like, they like meat. Okay. Uh, honeybees are not attracted to meat. They're attracted to flowers and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so back to your original question. So how, how deep do you want to go on this? Because I've been there's some fascinating stuff going on. There's a little bit of a wind-up to get there, though, uh, because there's some new new stuff happening in, in honeybee production. Because this, 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 this affects... Well, well, let's start there. What, 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 one-third what? of everything you eat... There you go. At least one-third of everything you eat is pollinated by a bee. There you go. And most likely it's by a honeybee mm-hmm. and so we're talking every crop from almonds uh to watermelons to cherries to washington state apples uh all of this stuff is pollinated by bees and, and most of the fruit crops that are grown uh, in, in in the united states are pollinated by bees and so the the thing that they're seeing right now as they research and wsu by the way has one of the best uh, bee research uh divisions of any college in the world and so a lot of stuff that happens in bees worldwide is studied at the university of washington state or washington state university and so one of the things that they're finding and this is pretty interesting to me is when you think of the typical honeybee the one on the box of honey bunches of oats or you'll see a cartoon on the side of the the squeeze bottle that honeybee is not an american honeybee that is a european honeybee and so what happened in days of yore when they figured out you you, you just couldn't get sugar anywhere like you in the 1800s or 1700s you didn't walk down to the bodega or to ken's market and buy any sugar so sweeteners were very sought after and when they found honey wild honey they're like how do we get more of this this is really good stuff and so it was the europeans that said well we we figured out a way to sort of keep bees they brought those bees over to the united states and so all of the bees that we think of as honeybees are european honeybees uh and the problem with that is they have not co-evolved with all the pests that are in america and so there's some pests that happen in america and they just wipe out hives of honeybees and so because of these crops that we just mentioned the lion's share of commercial honeybees will be in one place can, at one time. Can I ask what wipes them, what wipes them out? Can you give, give like us a Like a varroa mite, for instance. And so typically, if, if you had a couple hives and I had a couple hives and one of us had a pest like a mite, uh, uh, then it would just kill your hives, no problem with my hives. But if I have 500 hives and you have 2,000 hives, so let's, let's say both of us have 2,000 hives, we're commercial beekeepers, we get a call from the ar- al- almond the producers of America, and they say, hey, we need all of your hives 
at the Almond Grove uh, on this date. This is when our flowers are going to pop open. We got to have you guys, or we're getting no almonds this year. We're going to pay you half a million dollars to come in and pollinate our almonds. We're like, sweet. You call me, we load up our semis, we drive to California, we take a forklift, and we set our hives all throughout this almond plantation. And then if you had mites, well, now I have mites because the mites are like, oh, sweet. There's just all these hives everywhere. Isn't this awesome? Like someone just delivered all the hives in America to this one location, this one valley. Now we got uh, a hive. So all the mites will now spread like wildfire throughout all the hives. And then we pick them all up. We put them on the semis. We go down the road. And now we're pollinating peaches or we're pollinating uh, uh, strawberries. Are the mites after the bees or are they after the honey or are they actually a- after the hive? What are, what are the mites? What uh, are they Different destroying? pests after different things. They like some like the larva. Okay. Uh, some like the honey. Some just like the warmth inside there, and it's a nice habitat, and they end up do, do fouling the brood. Is it thing. immediate, or does it does it does it decay it takes, over time? It takes a while. It does okay. so like you might not know that I, the, I might not know that your hive gave my hive varroa mites or foul brood or whatever it is, or gave it hives, or gave it hives. We don't know. Yeah, and, and so what they're finding, and some of this again is research done at Washington State, is that native bees, which are way more difficult to to um control like uh they actually do a better job at pollinating native plants which makes sense but uh and they're more resistant to pests because they've co-evolved in the same area with the pests and so you're going to have natural selection would be the bees that are resistant to those pests are the ones that survive uh, over you know millions of years so what they're seeing now is that if we can get more natural pollinators, and I'm going, this feels like I'm getting deep in the weeds, but if you get more natural pollinators, so like bumblebees uh, are natural pollinators, wild bees, uh, even things like butterflies can be natural pollinators, and mason bees, things that, that are not in a box, they're not in a, the typical hive that we think of, those actually will pollinate a crop better. So if you had natural bees in your almond orchard, they're going to give you a higher yield of almonds. Problem is, you we just don't have the infrastructure to domesticate all of those other pollinators. So they're looking at these farms that are more like hobby farm size or maybe small commercial farm size where they've included a bunch of stuff to just make it a natural habitat for natural pollinators. They get a better yield, but industrial farming doesn't provide for that so if we still want to go to trader joe's and just grab a bag of almonds off the shelf those are all monocultures like those are monocrops and you got to have bees to come in and pollinate those so it's it's an interesting thing right now that they're finding that it would be better off in the long term if we didn't rely on the european honeybee and we had more natural pollinators but the system is set up right now to be almost exclusively european bees uh, they're easy to breed there are huge honey makers uh, you can make a bunch of queens like the infrastructure set up to make more of those yeah so the nation's crops when we think of the nation's crops uh and and this is maybe the wrong question but how many of those when we look at the nation's crop how much is that influenced and I'll just say artificially, by people like you that are coming in that are beekeepers bringing your bees. If you're just a hobbyist beekeeper, 0%. 0%. Like, the, these big industrial beekeepers are 
thousands and thousands of hives. I, I've been to a couple of these bee yards. It's crazy. It's a bee yard. Yeah, you go to an apiary and there'll be 500 hives set up and millions of bees flying around. It's at a huge scale. Like if you have to cover a thousand acres of almonds, yeah. that's a lot of beehives. All right, so what should you do if you do find a bee in the car when you're eating a one, wonderful... One individual bee, I hate to be callous, is inconsequential. Not a big If deal. it's in your car, it's probably not going to be able to find its hive anyway. That, that That's a dead bee walking. Oh, it is? Yeah. So take them out. Well, you can. I okay. wouldn't feel too bad about it. What how, there, There's a certain place where I... Where like, in I, other words, if he gets out of the car, he has yeah. no. He doesn't know where he is. No. Or, or she doesn't know where she is. certain place where I trail run. I was trail running last year, and I carry an EpiPen. And I thought just a bee got in my hat. And it wasn't a bee that got in my hat. It was a wasp that got in there with a bunch of other wasps. And they are bouncing around in my hat. And my oh, do some damage. Do you remember that? Yeah. My head just completely blew up. A lot of venom in there. It didn't happen once. It happened twice. And the second time it happened, I thought I was going to die. I didn't even think I would be sitting here right now with you. So it seems you like had anaphylactic shock. Yeah. It seems like uh, it gets worse over time when you get yeah. bit and you bit, get There's bit a again. Cumulative effect. So yes. that's what you have to be really careful of, right? Yeah. You really can get careful. bit uh, fifteen times, and then on the sixteenth time, you go into shock. Yeah. I didn't think I could run a four-minute mile, but I think right when they got stuck in my hat a second time, I think I had to be close. It's the Ron and Don Show, episode number 13. Thanks for sharing. Everything's at ronanddon.com. Help cops help kids. Go to ronanddon.com right now and buy a T-shirt. And $5 from every T-shirt sale will help kids like me. It's called Charlie's Dinosaur. Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. We pay for all this by being licensed realtors. Reach out to Ron. Ron at Windermere.com. Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. We'd love to be a part of the nation's biggest transaction. Because you are part of the nation. It's the Ron and Don Nation. Get that nation t-shirt. Go to Ronanddon.com, buy a t-shirt, five dollars, goes towards Charlie's Dinosaur. We are helping cops help kids with backpacks and really cool stuff as they go back to school. I'm curious to get your take on this. I found this absolutely fascinating. It's from the Pew Research Center. I don't know if you've seen on your Facebook or just your friends, all the people going to college for the first time. So you'll have a friend or even my family members. They go down there. You're in, in college. They'll typically go to Target or Walmart. You buy the mini fridge. You get them all situated in the dorm room. And so it's kind of fun to see people go and what college they chose and got into. And my niece went to Clemson. And I got one at Miami. And a good friend of ours, they just went to Villanova. So you're seeing all, a friend at UCLA. You get to see all these people, UW, wherever it is, WSU. And so this is an interesting study that came out, and I I rolled my eyes at first, but then when I read into it, I want to get your take on this. There's a growing divide in the views of higher education, and it's kind of breaking down political lines. So the more Republican you are, the less favorable and the more harm you think that higher education is doing towards America. So Pew Research Center went out and they said, is college, higher education, is it doing good for America or is it doing bad for America? And so depending on where you are in the political spectrum, your answer uh, was what I just said. And so at first I, I rolled my eyes at that a little bit. And then when I dug deeper, 
I'm wondering um, if Republicans have a point here. And so I'm going to give you the criteria that they asked on. And I think if you're open minded, you can see what they're saying. So when they said tuition costs are too high, Democrats and Republicans both were like, yeah, that's that's a negative about higher education right now. It is incredibly expensive. And I don't think there's any category of, of consumer product that's grown faster than tuition prices over the years. It's, it's incredible. So both uh, both of them, uh, that's the only category where Democrats were higher than Republicans. Then it says students are not getting the skills they need to enter the work price. So you go get this four year degree. And then you graduate, you got a hundred grand in debt and you don't have the skills to get into a hundred grand a job. So uh, Republicans care more about that than Republican Democrats do too much concern about protecting students from views that they might find offensive. This is one of the largest uh, categories. Democrats are, uh, don't care about that very much at all. Only 31%, 75% of Republicans have that fear. My kid's 18, uh, just graduated. I've tried to give them a pretty conservative upbringing. Now I'm throwing them into the lion's den. They're going to get a lot of viewpoints that I don't agree with. But they need a college degree, so I sort of have to just swallow hard and hold my nose. And then the final one, professors bring their political and social views into the classroom. 79% of conservatives uh, believe that. Only 17% of Democrats are worried about that. I think they have a point. I think if you're a conservative person... And you maybe have gone to great lengths uh, to protect your child from some viewpoints that you didn't like when they were five, six, seven, twelve 12 years old. That that's something that we should pay attention to, don't you think? You know, I think it goes back, and, and, and that's interesting. That, that, that's very, very interesting, Ron. I, I think it's connected to this. I think it's the way that we look at each other, and specifically the way that we look at the trades. I have some nephews, uh, and one just became a telephone lineman. I didn't even know there were telephone linemen anymore. In Wichita? Yeah, he's a lineman for the county. Glenn Campbell sang about this a number of years ago. And then I have another one of my nephews who's a journeyman. He's a, he's a plumber, and he's traveling around the country right now and working on some rather big projects. What's interesting is there's a house that I just had built about a year ago. And I was talking to the gentleman who was basically in charge of building the house. And he was working for the general contractor that was helping me. And his name was John. And John was this incredible artist. And he's almost 50 years old. And as I looked around the job site, everybody on the job site, even the guys that were pouring concrete, a lot of those guys were in their 50s, 60s. One guy was 72 years old. And I asked John, I said, where are all the young people? Where are all the young men that are going to come along and they're going to learn this trade from someone like you who's an artist. And he said, you know what? There are no young men like me. He said they really don't exist. You might see them on some big job sites downtown in, in South Lake Union or see the crane swinging. He said, but at the end of the day, everybody that's coming out of high school, they feel this pressure that they should go get a college education. And along with that college education comes a lot of debt. Along with that debt sometimes become... Well, you're looking for a specific skill that you don't have. And you think about it. If you are a lineman for the county or if you are a, a construction worker or if you are somebody that can do a great job as a plumber, electrician, something like that, hanging sheetrock, you have a life skill that not only can you use personally, but you can use in your community 
Uh, and you can also use that globally. You can cha- you, you can travel the world, and you can help people. If you're a plumber, for instance, find clean world uh, clean water around the world. There's all kinds of cool things that you can do with that specific talent. That's not necessarily a degree. So I think it's the way that we approach education with our kids. And we always say we set some money aside and say, you know what, you're going to college. Where are you going to college? What do you want to do when you grow up? And it's typically it's connected to a college degree. And I think it needs to be okay for kids to say, I want to be a lineman for the county. You know what? I want to be a police officer. I want to be a firefighter. I want to join the National Guard. I want to be a journeyman somewhere. I want to create things with my hands. I want to be a construction worker. I want to operate a crane. Maybe I want to be a truck driver. Maybe I want to be a plumber, an electrician. That has to be okay. And it seems like we don't value that. And as a result of that, when you look throughout the country right now, there are a lot of coders out there, but there's not a lot of plumbers. It's the Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show. To the Ron and Don Show. And yes, my dad's pretty annoying. All right. So number 13, the Ron and Don Show. And don't forget, it drops every Monday, and we appreciate uh, that you share with other people that, you know, are in the Ron and Don Nation. And uh, don't forget, Ron and Don Nation t-shirt. Buy one of those. Go to ronanddon.com. $5. Every shirt sale goes towards Charlie's Dinosaur. That's helping cops help kids, specifically in Pierce County. So they get ready to go back to school. Uh, there's an interesting piece of the New York Times and it coincides with uh, a, a pod, a different podcast. There's a podcast called Heavyweight uh, and it's produced by Gimlet. It's a guy called Jonathan Goldstein. And so the premise of this podcast, and I've listened to almost every episode, is that they'll take an ordinary person most of the time and they will uh, do for them, try to go back and repair something that nags them from their life. And so one example they talk about in this article is a woman named Christina, and I heard this episode. She was in foster care, and the one thing she loved to do was play basketball. And so when she got into 11th grade, her foster mother made her quit the basketball team. And she says that that her and life never got back on course the way she thought it would if she had continued to play basketball. And she thought she maybe could have got a scholarship and her life would be totally different now. So she's 42. So this happened when she was in 11th grade. She's been wondering about it now. And so she contacted the show in in her 40s. They tracked down her foster mother because I think they had a falling out. She was only a foster mother there for a short time in high school. Then they try to answer that question for Christina. Another episode that I always remember is a man that gave his friend Moby, who was just an unsigned music artist at the time, uh, a, a a CD collection from the Library of Congress field recordings. And then Moby listened to it to borrow. He's like, hey, I bought these. I thought you'd like them. Gave him to his pal Moby. Moby listened to it, sampled it because it was public domain, ended up becoming a huge hit on the radio, launched the career of Moby. And this guy felt like, A, he never gave me my CDs back. <laughs> and then B, I didn't get the credit I deserved for launching Moby. So they, yeah. they tracked down Moby and fly out to California wow. and try to repair these. So anyway, this article, though, is about... Um, if you have something that nags you, mm. it's called How to Revisit the Ghosts of Your Past. And by the way, uh, Heavyweight's new season's about to drop, so this sort of coincides with that. And so th- it's very interesting. So the, the basic premise is if something nags you and you can't, just, you can't let it go, 
you should do something about it. And so the first thing they said, it's never too late to say the thing you've been meaning to say. Uh, Unless and, they're dead. You, it's, it would yeah, then dope. it is too late. Then it probably is too Absolutely. late. Absolutely. I would have to You just had the one exception. <laughs> if yeah. the person is dead. Yeah. Uh, and so if you had something that has just nagged you for years that you've, you you sort of revisit. You know, I did. And this is something that I've kind of worked through uh, in therapy. Uh, and and I think I say this in my, my nine-year-old is sitting here. Uh, G-Force is sitting here. And I, di- I didn't like the way. That because he would he asked me about my dad sometimes and he asked me about the O'Neill family because we don't really know any O'Neills. Uh, my dad, I think, had seven sisters and that whole side of the family is just kind of disappeared. So I don't I don't really know that side and I and I think a lot of that side I think I think they passed away along with my father and he was the youngest of eight and there were seven girls so I had wow. seven aunts and then it was my father uh, and. So anyway, I didn't like the stories that I was repeating when he would ask me about my dad. It would always go to the negative. And there was a time where my relationship and my memories of my father were really good. And they were really wonderful. And they were great boyhood memories. But I would never repeat those memories to other people. It would always go to the negative. And I think it's because I, I, it was a play for people's sympathy. And as you try to have some kind of emotional intelligence and as you try to grow up, and I'm still trying to grow up at the age of, age of 52, what I've tried to do is go back and say to myself, you know what, when I was a boy and I was probably just a little older than my son, I would always say my dad abandoned me or abandoned my family. And you know what? My dad didn't abandon me or my family. My dad left us. That's what he did. The facts are is that he left. Whether he meant to abandon I don't know. So I don't know why I'm assigning. I, I don't know why I'm assigning that big of a word to an action that he took. Only he knows that. And at the same time, when I look back at my son's age or even younger, especially the times that we would go camping or specifically, and I've shared this with you before, uh, he worked for a company called the Dan Ledusky Company in Waukegan, Illinois. And I would get all the, all the Dan Ledusky trucks out there were red trucks. But my dad got to drive the black one. And every once in a while, he got to drive the blue one because he had seniority. And the guys with seniority, all the other guys were in red. There was 500 red Dan Ledusky trucks. And he was a short haul driver. And so I would get in and I would put, in fact, I bought a jean jacket the other day at Gap. And I was thinking about my dad when I bought this jean jacket. And, you know, I've always worn jean jackets. And, and it's kind of been this, this connection that I've had to him. And he would, you weren't allowed to have kids in the truck. So what he would do. Uh, they didn't have a passenger seat, so he'd take a milk crate, turn it upside down. We'd sit on that, and then we would sit below. We'd actually sit below uh, the windows. So other Dan Ledusky drivers, they couldn't see us, and that way they couldn't report us, and my dad wouldn't get in trouble. And he would take us to places like Milwaukee, or we would short haul to somewhere like Racine, Wisconsin. And we would haul glass. Sometimes we would haul concrete, haul cement, all kinds of stuff. And I had these great, great memories of stopping and just having lunch with him. Uh, I remember him picking me up at school, picking me up at my elementary school in his semi. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And then also he was a firefighter. So I remember going to the firehouse and meeting with other, other kids when my dad would go on fire calls. So I think for me, as I'm sharing stories, I've learned to share some of those stories. And that's been a real healing process. At some point, my dad fell off a truck. He broke his back. I would imagine at that point, he probably got addicted to alcohol and painkillers 
and that's where he turned into a different dude. It's a pretty horrible story after that. Right. But instead of focusing on that, I'd rather focus on the cool stuff. And those are the stories that I'm trying to share with him about his late grandfather. Yeah, and so if it had he if he was still alive and you wanted to repair it, this article is basically saying it's never too late unless he's dead. Unless he's dead. Uh, to, to, to tell someone the thing you've been meaning to say. Yeah. And then they say, once you do that, you don't know why someone isn't responding. So if you say something and they don't respond, you don't know why. doesn't mean that they necessarily hate you or that this thing from 20 years ago was meaningless to them. You just You need to have the proper framework to go, I'm doing this for because it nags me i'll put it out there and then they may respond they may not uh, that's a really good piece of advice it is the other one is to advice, trust yeah. your feelings trust your gut mm-hmm. so if you feel like something is like you got it out there you had proper motivation it's not coming back to you you got to trust that and then the last thing they say is it's okay to like go talk to someone professionally if this thing nags you from when you're 16 and you're in your 40s Talk to someone yeah. about what it. What about you? Do you, you do you have a do, do you have something that's? I, I've had uh, some of these. Some of them were uh, relationships uh, that ended. I actually tried to reach. I, I did after I read this, reached out to someone where something ended in a very spectacular but not anybody's fault way. Mm. And so I reached out to that person and sent them an email. Haven't gotten a response. Maybe I'll never get a response. But I know why I did it, and it was. You know, it was the right thing to do for me because it did nag me. And now, honestly, since since I did that, I hadn't thought about it since you just asked me right then. Hmm. But if I wouldn't have done the process, I probably would still be thinking about it. Yeah. That's good. Check out Heavyweight. It's a good show. Yeah. Right. Done, man. Episode number 13. Ron and Don Show drops every Monday. Sign up for the newsletter, right? Yeah, and we'll get you that link to the NPR interview and an article I, I wrote and maybe even a video. We'll yeah. get it all in the newsletter. There you go. Ron and Don, licensed realtors, we'd love to help you. We've been helping lots of folks. We'd love to help you, too, with the biggest transaction of your life. All you have to do is write Ron. Ron at Windermere.com. Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. Thank you for listening. means the world to us. Buy that T-shirt. Take a picture of it. Send it to us. We'll put up on our socials. We'll see you next week right here on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Ron and Don. <laughs> you good? Yeah. Let's keep going. <laughs>